ground pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eighth strikeout for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to Mariners Pod. Thanks for being here. Gary Hill with you. Well, if there are any questions about how the Mariners would bounce back after the sweep at the hands of the Angels, it was answered in a very emphatic way in game one against Baltimore. Uh, the highlights and reaction coming down in a moment. An offensive explosion for the Mariners as they take game one of the series. We'll look at game two coming up. Also, Brandon Liebhaber, the voice of the Jackson Generals, is going to join us. And I have lots of questions for him. Tyler O'Neill has been torrid. We'll ask about him. And also, Edwin Diaz has been moved to the bullpen. And this could be very meaningful this year for the Mariners. We'll talk about that coming up in a few as well. So... Another good podcast on the way. I have some numbers to get to you as well that involve the Mariners offense as they continue to be among the elite in the American League in terms of offense. So the Mariners wasted no time jumping on the board early in the ballgame, scoring in the very first inning. Nelson Cruz coming up big. The next offer on the way, swinging a ground ball, fair inside the bag at first and down the right field line. Here comes Smith on the score, Cano running third. He's going to score up, and the ball is Rickard. His throw will go into second. It's cut off by Scope. So Nelson Cruz with a single the other way to right field, drives in a couple, and the Mariners have an early 2-0 lead here in the top of the first inning. The Mariners have really been good early on in ball games. In fact, they've had one of the best first-inning run differentials in the American League as of a couple days ago, second best, and they've upped it with two more runs here. They've scored 24 runs in first innings this year. They've only allowed nine. They've jumped on teams early. They've made pitchers work, and that has paid dividends, certainly. The Mariners were not done there. There was plenty of offense flowing after that as the middle of the order really flexed some significant muscle as the M's piled up the numbers, scoring two in the first inning, and then blanked in the second, third, and fourth, but a giant fifth inning for the Mariners, including Kyle Seeger and a huge three-run blast. The 0-2 to Kyle. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to right center field. Going and going. Goodbye baseball. Into the bleachers. Right center Kyle Seeger with his eighth home run of the year. A three-run drive. Five runs are in here in the bottom of the fifth. And we've talked often about how Kyle Seeger, how often he takes lefties deep. And just a little historical comparison to put it in perspective. Mariner's career, lefty home runs against lefties. Kyle Seeger's second in Mariner's history. He's... Way behind the leader, but the leader's Ken Griffey Jr., one of the best players to play the game. Ken Griffey Jr. swatted 127 career home runs against lefties. Kyle Seeger is second in Mariners history, 38 home runs against lefties now. Alvin Davis and Raul Labanez tied with 33. So already Seeger 
38 career home runs against lefties as he blasts one right there. The Mariners with five runs in the fifth, a 7-0 lead, and they still weren't done. Nelson Cruz stepping up again to blast one. The pitch to Nelly, off-speed pitch, hammered, left field, deep, and it is gone. Boom, stick, baby, another home run for Nelson Cruz. And the Mariners now have a 10-0 lead. Nelly with his eighth home run. His fifth run batted in tonight gives him 26 on the season. And the Mariners are just piling it on here in Baltimore. The middle of the order was just scary in this one. Eight hits between Cano, Cruz, and Seager. Two home runs, six runs scored, and 10 RBIs all by the sixth inning. Incredible, incredible game for the middle of the order. And when they're rolling like they are, I mean, they're going to do this to a few other teams along the way where they're absolutely going to dismantle a pitcher or pitchers in a ball game. Because right now they're all rolling. Cano is blazing hot. So is Seager. And Cruz is looks like he's really starting to get into the groove as well. So much so, you look at extra base hit leaders in the month of May, and this is for all of Major League Baseball, just not isolated to the American League. Kyle Seager has the most extra base hits in baseball in the month of May. 12 extra base hits for Seager. Robinson Cano behind him with 11. David Ortiz and Desmond all with 11. But Seager and Cano, two of the leaders in baseball in terms of extra base hits, and they're doing a ton of damage along the way. Now the offense gains a lot of the attention putting 10 runs on the board, and for good reason. The offense continues to be consistent. In fact, you look at that in the American League. This is for the season. The Red Sox have scored the most runs per game in the American League. It's incredible. They're scoring six runs a game, six even. The Rangers are second by just a hair over the Mariners. Rangers 4.63, the Mariners 4.61. So third in the American League in runs scored ahead of the White Sox and Tigers at 4.4 apiece. That's where the Mariners are at scoring runs. Third in the American League. They put 10 on the board. But, you know, the offense may not even be the story. Wade Miley, he was outstanding. The 0-2 swing and a miss by Scope chased. A fastball down and away for strike three. And there is strikeout number one for Miley. And there's one out for the Orioles here in the bottom of the fifth. Miley pitched really well in this one. He gets the win, improves to four and two, ends up going six strong, just allows two hits, no runs, walked three, fanned one, all on 97 pitches. His ERA now lowered to 4.32, but... A tough matchup in a really tough ballpark. Miley, a fly ball pitcher, and this is why Safeco Field is such a great fit for him. But Baltimore, not as much with the smaller stadium. You have the Bashers with Machado having an MVP-type season. Jones has been on fire. Davis, Trumbo, that is a lot of thunder, including some right-handed pop right in the middle of the order that Miley had to deal with. He just allows two hits, no runs. Very impressive outing. The bullpen outstanding as well. They give up nothing and close down a big 10 
nothing win and a great story to end the ball game for the Mariners. Again, the one-two to Caleb Joseph. Swing and a miss, strike three, and this ball game is over. The Mariners shut out the Orioles here in Baltimore tonight. A final score of ten to nothing. Steve Johnson getting the final three outs of this one with his dad up here in the booth next to us, and the Mariners take Game One of the road trip here at Camden Yards. So a very cool moment right after that happened. Uh, Rick Riz was describing how he was watching. Uh, he was watching Steve Johnson's dad, who's a broadcaster for Baltimore, kind of sweat out the last three outs, trying to seemingly will his son to get the final three outs for the Mariners' win. And they actually brought him right over the booth immediately, Steve's dad, Dave Johnson, a former pitcher and broadcaster for Baltimore. And here's what the conversation sounded like right after. We got another special interview with us right now is Steve Johnson's dad, Dave Johnson was in the booth next door. We watched you. You were going crazy, Dave, watching your son Steve get the final three outs of the ball game. What in the world was that like oh, for you, funny. a proud papa, seeing your son Steve get the final three outs for the Mariners against your ball club, the team you work for? Well, anybody who's got a chance to be fortunate enough to play at the big league level knows it's not easy. It's harder watching. <laughs> <laughs> you were going crazy. You're oh, pulling it's out just, your hair. You know, and then, you know, because he comes in, you want him to do well all the time, of course. And, yeah. and, and I'm so thankful, and he's thankful for the Mariners to give him an opportunity to get back uh, after a bunch of years of just kind of being unhealthy. You know, he just had so many nagging injuries, and he just uh, last year was so strong, and he didn't really get a chance to in September. So when he got an opportunity to come over with the, with the Mariners, and it just looks, I mean, he just gets nothing but praise from the coaches and they say they like him and it's like I mean just really didn't have that uh, with the Orioles for whatever reason and he just feels so comfortable and, and wanted and and and, and kind of loved here so I just want him to do so well because uh, it's an opportunity they don't come around too soon so it's a little nerve-wracking sitting yeah. over there watching because I you know he's got better stuff than I had so I can't help him do it anyway <laughs> but I'd rather be out there than, than watching him well you pitch for the Orioles late 80s early 90s you get your first major league win over at the old ballpark Memorial right. Stadium and 23 years to the day, your son, Steve, gets his first major league win and his first major league start. Tell us that. Yeah, that's just, it's insane. I mean, to think about it, you know, August 8th, um, 89, and then August 8th of 2012. I mean, to the day, 23 years. That's it's just That's that's just insane. I mean, to think that, you know, father and son duos don't, combos, I should say, don't really happen that often. But then to have something like that happen for the same team in the same town, both of us from the same town, that's, that was just pretty cool. Enjoy the crabs last night? Oh, yeah, they were, they were pretty good. He did, too. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. How well, many Dave, family did you have out here? Uh, my wife, his girlfriend, and uh, a bunch of his high school friends. Nice. Yeah, he was, because uh, last, uh, actually, when he got, the day he got called up, his high school coach told me that he was uh, selected for the uh, St. Paul's High School Hall of Fame. So, and so then a bunch wow. of his good friends and everything that he wow. went to high school with are out here. So. Congratulations. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. We had a great father-son story back in 1990 with the Griffies, and now we got the Johnsons. <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite the same. But, uh, uh, <laughs> On the mountain and in the booth, Dave, I know you got to get back to junior, work. You, junior got a couple of homers off of me. Too. <laughs> did he really? Yeah, he did. Oh, absolutely. Oh, the kingdom. I was like, as soon as I walked uh, on the mountain, it seemed like they were flying out of the ballpark. You kidding me? How did Mike Blowers do a good shit? <laughs> I don't remember whether I faced Mike or not. I probably did maybe a couple times. If he did, he, he made a little money off of me. Well, Dave, thank <laughs> Dave, you good so to see much. Right, we really appreciate it no, to watch you. your son work tonight, get the final three outs. I know you got to get to work for Masson on the yeah, Orioles. Yeah, I'm going to be right telecast. here for an hour doing postgame show. All right. Well, Dave, thanks for coming by. We appreciate All you right. stopping thanks, by. Thanks, guys. Just very cool, really unique and very cool as the Mariners close it down. They get game one of this series 10 nothing. Knights bounce back for the M's. 
And something that I find pretty interesting so far this season, Mariners off to a good start against the AL East. The M's 6-1 and one against the East so far this year and outscoring them 40-18. to 18. They swept the Rays, took two of three from the Yankees, and now ahead of Baltimore, one nothing, and piling up all kinds of runs. So nice start against the East for the Mariners. So let's get to some reaction from the ball game. And first, I want to hear from Wade Miley, who was outstanding in the ball game against Baltimore, one of the toughest offenses in one of the toughest places to pitch. I thought I made a couple pitches in the first inning to a couple guys. Didn't get the call. It is what it is. Um, move on. Stuck my way out of that somehow. Um, got Trumbo to, was it Trumbo I got to mm-hmm. pop up? Um, and then just kind of went from there. Then the run started coming. Yeah, anytime you get some run, runs like that, you just want to go out there and just try to cook innings and get, and get the guys back in. I'm sorry, get the guys back in the, uh, in the dugout and let them keep swinging, and it worked out tonight. In that first inning, is that a matter of kind of seeing what you have, or do you keep going with everything that you have in that first inning? I think it is. You have what you have. Uh, maybe make a few adjustments, uh, maybe pitch location. But uh, other than that, no, I was just trying to just get ahead and uh, go from there. With that, that two, three, four, five for them is pretty, pretty tough group. You kind of navigated them pretty well for the most part. Did you do anything special? Um, no, really. I just kind of trusted what Chris did. Chris did a great job, had a great game plan going in, and uh, just tried to execute pitches and was able to get out for them. It's become pretty much a trend when you pitch. The guys put up three, four, two runs in the first inning. <laughs> No. When you go out there, I mean, do you, do you try not to look at the score and try to think 0-0 and shut up? 100%. Out? That's that's huge. You know, obviously you see the guys scoring runs. You want to uh, try to eliminate that because you want that to change the way you're, you're attacking hitters. And uh, fortunately tonight we were able to, to stay on track and do that, and uh, it worked out. You pitched this park before. I mean, it, it can be a bit of a bandbox. Do you do anything different when you come in here, or do you still got to stay with who you are? Uh, I think you just got to – I have to stay who I am. I got to try to get the ball on the ground. I obviously didn't do that tonight, but they stayed in the yard. Yeah. I think the conditions were uh, – we're knocking some balls down. There was a couple balls hit that I thought, you know, later in the year they're probably homers. But, um, yeah, I just try to stay – just keep the ball down in the way and uh, mix in when I can. There was Wade Miley. Now let's hear from Seth Smith, who – He was all over the place defensively, including some shenanigans with Robinson Cano. Here he is. Yeah, it's always nice, uh, but you know, nobody was thinking about that. Like that's 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 in the past, and we we came uh, to play a game a day, and uh, happened to do really well, and and, you know, know, try to get ready to do it again tomorrow. You talked about, you know, wanting to get hits and everything, but also just wanting to get on base for those guys. We kind of saw tonight how that works when you guys get on base for that three, four, five. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of I guess baseball 101. If you're you know hitting in front of you know your three, four, five hitters, that's that's what you want to do. You you know you, you try to you know drive the ball and you know extra base hits are great, but ultimately you're you're trying to get on base for the guys behind you. Honestly, was it the gray shoes? No, it was the the field. The right field's a little smaller here, and then the wind. Honestly, the balls were just kind of they would come out a little bit, and then they would hold up. So it was just it was just weird. I don't know what was going on. The one that when you came in, the TV caught you. You had the glove up to your face, and Robbie was laughing. In my mind, and I'll always like you were trash talking him there. But what was? No, I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to do. I was like, uh, (laughs) I don't know what just happened. I don't usually catch that ball. It's, it's his ball. But like I said, it came up, and it was going out that way. And I, I was under it and saw it, and I didn't know 
what was going on. So you're like that little leaguer that caught everything. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite of what I want to do. So. There he was, all over the place. The Mariners get the win, ten nothing. So they've taken game one of the series, a chance to take this series today. Nice matchup. Taiwan Walker will go to the hill for the Mariners, and he's going against Chris Tillman, who's off to a very good start. Walker 2-2, two two, a 2-6-3 ERA. Tillman 5-1 with a 2-5-8 ERA. Tillman pitching well, but here is something I think that's important to watch in this ball game with Chris Tillman. So at times in Tillman's career, he has had trouble with the long ball. You look at a couple of years ago in 2013, 33 long balls that year. He is a fly ball pitcher. This year, one of the highest fly ball rates in the American League. 12th highest fly ball rate in the American League. Just over 40% of balls in play fly balls. Now, this matters because he pitches in Baltimore half the time, and that can be tough to always keep it in the yard. Now, this year, he's allowed just one home run. In fact, his home run to fly ball ratio is a ridiculous 2%. That's going to go up, especially with the amount of balls are being hit in the air in Baltimore. That's going to go up. The question is, are the Mariners going to put a dent into it here? He's gone eight starts with only giving up one home run. That number's going to change. The question is, will it change starting tonight with some hot hitters in the middle of the order? Not surprise me if the Mariners took Tillman out of the yard two or three times in this ballgame. It's just the math. It's going to come back at Tillman at some point. The only question is, is it going to come back tonight? And I guess that's we'll we'll wait and see. And for Taiwan Walker, the challenge is obvious. He's got to pitch through a very, very good middle of the order for Baltimore. So this should be a very entertaining matchup. And keep in mind, so game tonight and then a day game tomorrow. And by day, I really mean morning. So it's a morning start. So there'll be no podcast on Thursday. We'll come back on Friday, though, and talk about a couple of games and then get you ready for the Cincinnati Reds. And the Mariners have a chance in that series to really put up some numbers, but we'll talk about that when we get a little bit closer. So there it is. Mariners win 10-0. Now we're going to turn to the voice of the Jackson Generals, and we're going to talk about a couple of really key players, one of them, Edwin Diaz. 3-2. Swing and a miss. Got him with the fastball. Two batters, two strikeouts for Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz moved to the bullpen, and he's been throwing gas. We'll talk about that in a second. And Tyler O'Neill has been on a home run binge. One ball and one strike. The pitch. Swing and a ball hit in the air to deep center field. Marzilli going back. Center fielder looks up. This ball is gone. Tyler O'Neill with his seventh home run of the season, and the Generals take a one to nothing lead. Well, we get a chance to visit with one of our favorites, Brandon Liebhaber. He's the voice of the Jackson Generals. You can see him on Twitter. A very good follow. At B underscore Liebhaber, L-I-E-B-H-A-B-E-R. Brandon, thanks for coming back. We certainly appreciate it. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, Gary. You're far too kind. (laughs) There is a lot to talk about. Jackson playing great baseball in first place, 22 and 15 overall. But I want to start with, 
what has been a big story in Seattle, and that is Edwin Diaz moving to the bullpen. He's had a couple of outings out of the pen. What have you seen so far from Diaz out of the pen? Well, we've seen a lot of good stuff, that is for sure. It caught us all by surprise. He was pulled, uh, caught us all by surprise, rather. He was pulled from a start after two innings. We didn't know if he was hurt. Um, or what, but it turns out it was the start of his transition to a bullpen role. And so far, he's pitched four innings, has not given up a run. He has seven strikeouts, uh, including five last night, which was probably his best outing. They finally let him go past an inning in relief, and he struck out the first five batters he faced. Did give up a ground rule double, but then got the next guy he faced to pop out. And you saw what you'd probably expect from a guy with a big arm moving to a relief role. The velocity has ticked up yesterday. He touched 98, was sitting 95 to 97 with the fastball. He's using that wipeout slider, and now we don't have to worry so much about the changeup, which is the third pitch he was trying to develop and really laboring with in some of his starts. Now he can just go out and attack guys. Frankly, I'm a little surprised at how good he's been, given that this is the first time he's appeared in relief since his first professional season back in 2012. But he's a guy who pitches with a lot of fire, and I think that his mindset and his style really suits itself well to the bullpen. And because the bullpen in most organizations is in flux, and I think that certainly applies with the Mariners, this gives him, at just 22 years of age, uh, a fantastic opportunity to move up in the organization quickly. You've seen a number of bullpen arms roll through Jackson and a lot in the major leagues now. A lot have appeared in the major leagues the last couple of years. Where does Diaz kind of compare to some of the other guys you've seen? It's tough to rank just after three appearances, but certainly he is electric out of the bullpen. I mean, you know, a guy that certainly would ring a bell for you and many in the Northwest is Tony Zick because they have similar repertoires, and Zick was a hard thrower. Obviously, different trajectory is Zick was in his fourth year in Double A in uh, 2015 when he came to the Mariners via the Cubs, but hard thrower, wipeout slider, and we saw that once things clicked for him, he jumped right to the majors after starting the year in double A, and I would not at all be surprised uh, if Edwin Diaz uh, was kind of on that trajectory as well because uh, they have similar repertoires, and Diaz obviously comes more heralded. It's odd, I think, because there's, you know, with Zick, there's excitement because he was a guy that wasn't on people's radars, and all of a sudden he jumps up, becomes a part of the Major League bullpen, even though now he's on the disabled list. With Diaz, there was some head-scratching just because he moved from starter to reliever, but, you know, in, in my mind, if you get innings from anyone, you know, all nine are important, and he's a guy who certainly, I think, has an opportunity to help the Mariners this year. So Zick is kind of the guy that I would look at uh, over my couple of years with the Generals as someone to compare Diaz to, and I don't think that's a bad analog, and Diaz may have an even higher ceiling just because of how well he's regarded as a prospect. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Zick is outstanding before he went to the DL, but he was a big part of what has happened so far out of the bullpen for the Mariners. And of course, Diaz isn't the only story. I mean, Jackson full of them right now. Maybe none bigger, though, than Tyler O'Neill, who continues his power search. What, eight homers already this year? How has he been to watch every yeah. day? He has been fun, and I say this, I've tweeted it. Uh, you can see the numbers, but you really don't understand or comprehend how prodigious O'Neill's power is until you see it in person. Uh, every home run that we have a reading on for Tyler has gone at least 415 feet. It is remarkable uh, how much raw power he has. Uh, eight home runs, he leads the league by two. He's actually homered in each of the last two days. We had a doubleheader 
uh, a couple days ago on Sunday, but that was after a stretch of 11 games without a home run. I mean, he's got eight of Jackson's 12 home runs, and I think there was some trepidation coming into this season, and maybe rightly so, just because A, O'Neill struck out a bunch last year in the California League, and B, uh, as anyone who follows the Miners closely knows, the California League is a hitter's paradise. Um, you know, a lot of Mariners prospects came through high desert before they moved to Bakersfield, and you had guys who had hit a lot of home runs in high desert, and then they'd come to Jackson. The Southern League is more humid. Obviously, double-A pitching is a lot more advanced, and they'd struggle. But Tyler O'Neill has shown really almost no signs. In fact, he's gotten better uh, here in the Southern League because not only does he lead the circuit at home runs, but he leads the league in hits right now. He's got 43. The strikeouts are down. He still strikes out a lot, but the walks are up. He had 10 walks in the entire first half last year. He's already had a dozen. The control the zone mantra that you're seeing at the major league level and all the way down through has really taken with him. And I think there's a tendency with O'Neill, and for anyone who's seen him in person, you say, man, that guy is just a bodybuilder. And certainly he uh, has a physique that I think most of us would kill for, but he is actually more cerebral than I think he gets credit for. He knows what pitchers are trying to do to him. Um, and that's why you're seeing, you know, the on-base percentage go up, the strikeouts go down. And it's remarkable because not only is he doing this at the double-A level, but he's doing this as one of the league's youngest players. He's still only 20. He won't uh, be of legal age in the States. Of course, he's from Canada until June 22nd. So it's impressive to see that he has had almost no growing pains whatsoever. In fact, he's off to a much better start this year uh, than he was last year with Bakersfield. He started slowly in high A before finishing strong, and he's really carried that over into 2016. You mentioned controlling the zone, and it's a philosophy that we've talked quite a bit with the Mariners already this season. How have you seen the new philosophy kind of play out so far in the early stages of this season? Well, it, it has been probably the biggest difference on the field between this year and last year. Last year, the team had a lot of power prospects that struck out a lot. And frankly, the team, I think, gave away more outs than it wanted to. This year, the control the zone mantra has really paid dividends. The generals are among the league leaders in terms of fewest strikeouts on offense. They consistently put the ball in play. Team doesn't actually walk a bunch, but they lead the league in hitting because really the mantra lends itself to putting the ball in play and making the defense do something. When you put pressure on the defense, all of a sudden good things happen. So we're seeing a lot more productive outs, and we're seeing a lot of longer at-bat starters, even when they pitch well against the generals, typically have to throw 70, 80, you know, 90 pitches in five innings or so. And you just see a lot of long at-bats. Darren Brown, our manager, who actually briefly managed in Seattle in 2010, uh, he consistently uses the word grind with me. This is a team that grinds out at-bats. And while Tyler O'Neill might be the only guy who can park one on I-40 in Jackson, everyone in this lineup is capable of putting a good swing on the ball and making pitchers work. And this is a team that really just wears you down. And that's the reason I think that they find themselves in first place despite maybe not having the most prospect-laden lineup in the Southern League. This is a team that doesn't give up at-bats, and one through nine, there's not an easy out in the lineup. I'm glad you mentioned Darren Brown. He's been a great organizational guy for the Mariners, as you mentioned. Uh, was it uh, was with the Mariners, managing the Mariners for a while, of course, Triple A Tacoma. But uh, I imagine you've had a, a good time working with him this year. Oh, he is fantastic. Darren Brown, uh, as you mentioned, long-time member of the organization. And it's great to have someone with so much experience here in Jackson. I think that that helps the team. The players certainly respect him. 
seven years managing a Triple A Tacoma, as you mentioned. He is that franchise's all-time winningest manager. He has since both as Seattle manager in 2010 and the Mariners' third base coach for almost all of 2013. So this is a guy that the players in the clubhouse can look to and say he knows what it takes to get to Triple A and beyond. And he certainly commands respect. Uh, He's a no-nonsense type of guy, but fantastic person to talk to if you ever get the chance to speak with him. A very dry sense of humor. We've already had some fun conversations, but he just keeps the right attitude in the clubhouse. Things are serious when they need to be, and he knows how to right the ship if things aren't going well. But at the same time, he knows that it's a 140-game season. He's good at cracking a joke and keeping things lighthearted. And it's great to see him back because, you know, the major league staff obviously had a lot of change last year from the front office on down. And we saw some similar changes in the minors, but I think it's important that they held on to guys like Darren Brown, who knows how, who know how things operate in the organization. And he has done a fantastic job kind of mixing the new with the old, with all the changes that have gone on. Dylan Unsworth. I want to talk about him for a moment. His numbers jump out. I mean, three and oh, a 1.08 ERA. What have you seen from him this year? He is, uh, he's Dylan Unsworth. And I say that uh, because this is the pitcher that he's always been in terms of control. He has always been a guy that just flat out does not walk people. Um, That's been his MO since he was signed by the Mariners. But this year it's really all coming together for him. And it very much, I think, has to do with the control the zone mantra. Because in the past, I think Unsworth, I don't want to say he wasn't confident, but this is a guy who throws 88-89 and just doesn't walk guys. He doesn't strike out a ton either, but he's going to be in and around the zone. And I think, you know, prior with uh, the old front office, he didn't necessarily see uh, the route upwards for, you know, uh, a back-end starter who didn't throw that hard. Uh, I've talked to him uh, a little bit, and he said, actually, you know, the guy that he's modeled himself after, I don't know if Mariners fans want to hear this, but it's Jared Weaver, a guy who doesn't throw that hard but is able to locate the ball well. And now he just has the confidence knowing that this front office likes guys who throw strikes, who don't give away at bats, and as we talked about on offense, same goes for pitching, just don't walk guys. So his control has been impeccable. He makes guys beat him, and he is just in and around the zone. What's remarkable is that he's primarily a fastball changeup guy, though the curveball has made some great strides this year. His last time out, uh, he pitched a seven-inning complete game in uh, the opener of our doubleheader on Sunday. Uh, he struck out six. A lot of those did come on the curveball, but he's just pitching with confidence. He's attacking guys. He gave up just two hits in that game, retired the final 14 batters he faced. And part of that control the zone on the mound is attack the zone, trust the defense behind you is going to make plays. And he got some good plays behind him because ultimately if the other team puts the ball in play and they've got to beat you with hits, if you walk them, then that gives them opportunities and puts you on the mound in a tough situation. But Unsworth rarely, if ever, works himself into jams and he's done a fantastic job. Uh, Opponents are batting about 100 right now with runners in scoring positions, so he's capable of bearing down and, and locating. But uh, he's a lot of fun to work with, a guy that I think you know could make some noise moving up. And as I said, he is just brimming with confidence at the moment. He's got uh, a couple seven-inning starts, of course, that complete game shutout on Sunday. And then two starts ago, he won Southern League Pitcher of the Week after going seven, giving up just two hits. He retired the first 17 he faced in that one and took a no-hitter into the seventh until Jacksonville singled with one out so this is a guy that certainly is making some noise and is pitching uh really to the best of his capabilities right now and i think as i said it's a result of what the new front office is doing and they've infused guys like him with confidence who else has jumped out so far this season 
There are, there are a few guys. Um, one guy in the bullpen who uh, I think isn't getting enough attention, uh, and I mean it because I think he's got some potential to move up pretty quickly, is Emilio Pagan. He's got an ERA below one, uh, 22 strikeouts, six walks. He has been really Jackson's primary closer after Craig Sitton moved up to Triple A Tacoma. He is really solid, throws a hard fastball, uh, has a slurve and a changeup as well. He's a guy who keeps hitters off balance, is good at the end of games. He had a 2-5 ERA last year in Bakersfield and in the California League. Uh, that is really not easy to do. You frequently see all-stars with the RAs and the threes and fours there. He's a guy that I think can make some noise, especially you know when you look at Bullpens in general, frequently you see a lot of guys back there. I wouldn't be surprised if Pagan uh, was in Seattle at some point. I don't know about this year, but just because of what he can do out of the bullpen and how solid he's been for the Generals. Offensively, Zach Shank is a guy I really like. Uh, he has reached, now in all 28 games he has played in, which is tied with uh, Tyler O'Neill for the longest on base streak in the Southern League. He leads the league with a 340 average, and he really started the season as a utility guy. Has kind of forced himself into the lineup. He only had three extra base hits, a double and two triples, no homers, and he doesn't walk a ton, but man, if he isn't staying the ball everywhere, and he's actually a really solid defender wherever you put him. Shank has played every position other than catcher in his minor league career, and he even had to catch a bullpen last year, so I joke with him that he's technically played all nine, but you can put him anywhere. He's been fantastic defensively at third base, a guy who really just helps out the lineup wherever he is, and you can, like I said, plug him in everywhere, and that versatility will play. Another guy who's forced himself into the lineup on an everyday basis is Ian Miller, who I've been impressed with. He leads the team with 11 steals and as many opportunities. They slowed down a bit of late, but he's got four triples, which are tied to the league lead. He frequently gets on base to start games and makes things happen. He's sort of pushed himself on the prospect list. Baseball America, if you get the uh, addendum to the prospect handbook has Miller listed at 31 in the organization. He's a guy who kind of like Dario Pisano last year is just out to prove guys wrong. A uh, small college kid went to Wagner on Staten Island, was a late draft pick, but all he's done is hit and steal bases wherever he's gone. And he can play all three outfield positions. Guillermo Heredia, I know a name that, you know, Mariners fans are probably familiar with after DePoto and co shilled out some money for the Cuban import in the offseason, he got off to a really good start, hitting each of his first nine games to slow down a bit, dealing with some nagging injuries, but still a guy I like a lot. He can play all three outfield positions as a good defensive center fielder, though we haven't seen him make any real spectacular plays so far. But like everyone else in the lineup, he is really adept at making contact, not striking out. Uh, it's just a really solid team at the double-A level. A lot of guys with experience, and you know, those are some names that I kind of be on the lookout for that maybe aren't, you know, on your Twitter feed when you're following all the baseball prospect gurus, but still guys I think that are more than capable of making some noise at AAA and even Seattle in the coming years. And finally, it looks like DJ Peterson is still trying to figure it out at the AA level. Yeah, DJ is working hard. I will say his his attitude is really good this year. He knows that, uh, you know, there are some things that he needs to work on. But what he's told me is that right now he's, he's focused more on the process, not the results. And I think that's kind of what the new front office is preaching is just, you know, do everything you can mentally to prepare yourself for the game and let the results take care of themselves. I've seen him do a better job going the other way. He's hit some ball, balls hard right at people, and the power is still there. I think that we'd like to see you know, him and Tyler O'Neill combine for a big-time 3-4 punch in the lineup. 
the good news with DJ is that the strikeouts are down in May. The walks are up. He is showing more of a willingness, like Tyler O'Neill, to lay off of bad pitches, and he works himself into better, better counts. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to push forward and make a run. I, I think that the uh, ingredients are certainly there for him to string some hits together. It'll actually be really interesting to see uh, when Mississippi comes to town next month. His uh, younger brother, Dustin, is a Braves farmhand with the M Braves and off to a really good start. But, DJ, uh, I'm hopeful just because we've seen some positive signs. Uh, last year it was definitely a struggle for DJ, but he's taking things in stride. Um, I know that this isn't where he wants to be, especially when looking at the numbers. But right now I can tell you DJ is spending a little less time looking at the numbers, trying to get things right with his swing. And he's been very open to being coached and, you know, making the adjustments. So hopefully we see DJ Peterson become the player that the Mariners hoped when they took him in the first round a few years back. No doubt. That was great to hear. Hey, Brandon, thanks for the time. Thanks for the report. We'll do this soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gary. Really appreciate you having me on. Pitch on the way to Harold Reynolds and a fastball belted deep to left field. Back is Anderson to the track, the wall. It is Grand Salami time. My, oh my, Harold Reynolds with not only the home run, but his first career Grand Slam home run. And the Mariners break it open. It is nine to five on the first pitch from Kevin Hickey. And you ought to see the smile on Harold Reynolds' face. Boom! See you later!